Okay, class. Today we're gonna start with the basics. Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Eric. Thank you guys so much for joining us in this series, What is the Gospel? I am joined again with our two guests, uh, Mr. Dan Hintz. Hello. And Mr. Paul Wells. Hi. Dan and Paul, if you guys have not been listening in, um, two friends that I know from different different parts of my life, they don't know each other. So that's been a fun been like a fun social experiment of like getting people from different uh, worlds, worlds colliding and different backgrounds uh, to talk about this question of what is the gospel. We're also uh, we're reading through N.T. Wright's book called Simply Good News. So he's kind of acting like a fourth conversation partner, although I think this podcast would be way better and way more popular if N.T. Wright was actually in our conversation. Um, but he's kind of acting like a fourth partner uh, here. And so we're reading through his book and discussing it from different points of view. Uh, the three of us are from different denominational backgrounds, different Christian traditions, theological backgrounds. Uh, so that's been a good conversation so far. Um, and so we are now into the fifth chapter, which is uh, titled Rethinking Heaven. Um, so he N.T. Wright kind of builds on what he's been talking about the last four chapters. If you haven't uh, heard those yet, um, we will be referencing some things that he's talked about. Um, so I would really encourage you to go back, listen to the other podcast, and then jump into this one. But I'm going to just – we're going to kick off. I'm going to hand it over to Dan. Uh, Dan, what happened in this chapter? That's a great question, Eric. Um, so this is, this is officially we are past the halfway point in the book now, and I think we're really starting to – kind of develop the we're getting to the payoff on a lot of the right. ideas that have kind of been established so far because um, he kind of ended chapter four with a little bit of a cliffhanger just kind of teased some stuff of what what uh, was to coming next like basically okay if we believe all this stuff about the gospel and the good news like why does that even matter um, you know it, isn't that really just kind of creating this this spiritual moral alternative for people um, if they want it. But, you know, what what does it really mean for the world? For the average person, why does Jesus' death and resurrection 2,000 years ago make any difference? Um, and he really answers that question um, with chapter 5. Um, I'm basically kind of saying that um, it comes down to the way we think about heaven and, and what we think heaven means, what we think happens when we die, and your answers to those questions determine what this good news really means um, in today's world. So um, he kind of says a lot of times we tend to reduce the idea of heaven to two kind of ideas. And it's that Jesus is going to take us to heaven. So it's going to be somewhere else that we go and Jesus takes us there and that Jesus is going to come back. And when that's all you have, your concept of heaven, um, kind of previously he's talked about the um, the the two the split level worldview where there's earth where I live my life mm -hmm. and then there's kind of the spiritual reality of kind of that vague um, moral spiritual world that you know is nice but it's a separate thing entirely. Um, and so when you combine those all of these things, you get this idea of yep, I lived my life here on earth. And then eventually I go somewhere else 
to be with Jesus, and that's what this is all about. You know, that heaven and the gospel is just about ensuring that I have the the password or the the right tools mm-hmm. to get to that spiritual reality, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which is, he says, not a good understanding of the biblical story and the original context that we have, um, because the the biblical story, as N.T. Wright describes it, is much more about heaven and earth being unified and coming together into one place and the idea of restoration and transformation of what we already have. Um, He uses a lot of scripture to kind of make that point. He quotes from Isaiah and Ephesians and Corinthians and Romans and Colossians and John and a good portion of the Old and New Testament to kind of make this point, um, saying that it's all kind of geared up around this idea that the whole um, whole creation is is summed up in Christ, that it comes to its fulfillment, um, that it's reconciled, and it's not just something that gets discarded and, and moved away with. Um, and then he gets to the point that the resurrection is the proof that that is um, real. It's not just proof that, well, Jesus was raised from the dead, and therefore I will be raised from the dead when I die, but that this new creation that we have is starting now, because basically the the way that things happen now is different because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And so we are now, kind of like he's been saying, something has happened, and therefore we are living in expectation of this new world, of where there is no more death, where um, those things do not define the physical world, um, but that it is still a, a real world. It's not just that spiritual kind of abstract um, that we are going to become more human, that the world is more alive than ever in Christ. Um, And so what that means for um, the world and why that matters is, as N.T. Wright says, all creation is also waiting for this this transformation. It's not just about me and you and our personal relationships with Christ. It is about the whole world, as he says, is frustrated and is feeling the the burden of sin as it says in um, Romans 8 and so it's waiting for the that transformation and N.T. Wright says that humans are God's intended way of interacting with the world and of bringing that transformation um, he says like in the in the Garden of Eden that was the human's role was to cultivate to care for to to act as God's image bearers on earth and now humans are able to, because of Jesus, because of this new creation that is beginning, are able to resume that role um, as image bearers, as cultivators of a new kingdom here on earth, as it is in heaven. Um, and we have the resurrection as kind of the, the proof that that is the case. And those are kind of, in very broad strokes, the, the points that he makes in this chapter, kind of building off of what has been um, said before. All right, good. Thank you, Dan. And uh, so then let's. I I think that the maybe the best way to do this is just to kind of essentially taking section by section. Um, so as you mentioned, he kind of opens this chapter to talk about talking about quote unquote heaven versus new creation. Which uh, caveat for our listeners, N.T. Wright does not set those things as opposed to one another necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's careful um, and almost like I'm almost kind of disappointed. How careful, <laughs> how careful and nuanced he is. You know, there's a lot of drama 
around N.T. Wright's scholarship because he's so popular. And I was kind of hoping there'd be more reason for drama. Um, but he's actually he's very measured and very careful in how he talks about things. Um, and then he'll like he'll say a statement where I'm like, oh, now he's kind of like, you know, he's going to ruffle some feathers. And then he'll nuance that statement um, a little bit. So so I think that it might be helpful for us just to think about quote unquote heaven versus new creation. Those two ideas, understanding they're not necessarily opposed, diametrically opposed to one another. Uh, but just to start off with what what is heaven in the popular Western Christian worldview imagination? What does heaven look like for most most Americans? Mm-hmm. You're exactly right there, Eric. N.T. Wright is not as controversial as he gets the reputation for. And I yeah. think it's because when you're trying to describe what he has said, you right. miss some of the nuance. Yes. And your description of what he has said becomes controversial yes. because you are not accurately conveying or remembering what he actually said. Just said. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He, you, um, you know, you said he's a lot like C.S. Lewis at the mm-hmm. be- when we first started this. And C.S. Lewis did this thing a lot where he spent a lot of time redefining or giving proper definitions to terminology. And so his argument wasn't necessarily, here's a new idea, here's a new concept, but here's here's the proper definition for these things. And that's what N.T. Wright is really doing in this chapter. And it's very Lewis-esque in that he's not not throwing this brand new idea at heaven. What he's doing is he's saying, here's what we here's here is our our what we presuppose heaven to be, whether that's something that's been developed culturally or just through bad theology or whatever that may be. Right. And he says, here's a biblical context, a biblical definition. So he's not throwing he's not throwing fireballs over the fence necessarily. He's giving proper biblical definitions for terms. Right. You know. And, and that's really nice. Yeah, but yeah, so to answer the, the question that you'd pose there, Eric, of like, what is heaven? Um, I think he puts it really well um, for for the majority of Christians, or for a lot of Christians, maybe not the majority, the overarching point is to get to heaven, right? Mm. And we you see that language a lot, especially oh, in, yeah. in even evangelical tradition. You know, where are you going when you die? Um, how do you know you're going to heaven? And it's it's this uh-huh. travel language that we right. use. I am going to heaven, and it makes it seem like, even if it's semantics, it makes it seem like it's a separate place that's right. somewhere else that is different from where I am now. Mm-hmm. And that then begins kind of reinforcing itself to think that, well, heaven has really nothing to do with where I am now. It's right. It's about the future. It's about this hope that is coming, but it really doesn't have anything to do with the world that I live in right now. It is all expectancy for what's coming in the future. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I think if I were to use N.T. Wright's example from chapter one, where he talks about the sick child, mm. um, our modern view of heaven is that the child is made well so that they can go home and dwell in eternal summertime and play video games um and eat airheads and hang out with their friends all the time you know and it's like it's uh it's like an eternal weekend it's like i'm finally at a place i don't have to work anymore i don't have to do anything i don't have to i don't have to fight you know the curse uh i don't have to fight sin i just finally finally i get to relax 
Um, that's some extent. I think some people look at it like heaven is just going to be one giant festival con Dios where DC talk and the newsboys and third day and Chris Tomlin, just like <laughs> one after the other. And we're just going to be having these like awesome mountaintop experiences all the time. But again, that sort of implies a different place, different setting, different features. I'm a musician. That's, that's where I serve in the church mostly. And it's, it's even in our music, uh, in a lot of places, um, uh i'll fly away yeah oh glory i'll fly away you know things like that or um there is beyond the azure blue mm-hmm. um in and uh this idea that it's a completely separate place the sort of streets paved with gold and and we use biblical language you know that whole idea of a right. race and we're coming to a completion and we're gonna we're gonna come to this end point and we, you know, we use things like uh, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith I run in such a way as to get the prize. Right. Um, and we look at it as though that heaven is um, this final prize and endpoint where I get to stop running. I get to be done. And I don't think that that is what you see in the Bible. Yeah, I, I think that there is also this understanding of heaven as the reward for living rightly. Like, I think that's kind of how, you know, if you behave well, then you get the treat. You know, if you behave well, then you get, you get to, you get the reward for behaving. Um, If you don't behave well, then you get punished. You know, I think that that's kind of the paradigm. I mean, frankly, that's the paradigm that a lot of our, our peers have, you know, people, I mean, people our age, that's how they understand the Christian faith is, is a punishment or reward system where if you behave one way, you get the good thing. If you behave the other way, you get the bad thing. You know, it's kind of like what we were talking about with uh, hyperpenal substitutionary atonement. And that, that is a, that is a part of it, right? God, God did create a yes. world where we have gravity, right? Yes. So if you disobey gravity, it is going to be painful yes. and it, it would behoove you to do the right thing and not jump off of your roof. But if we over-focus on that, if we hyper-focus on that, um, it makes it all about us and right. what I've done and what I'm doing. Right. Um, and the and the the focal, you know, we talked about. I guess it was in, in the last chapter. The fulcrum of history mm-hmm. um, is not is not turning on on whether I chose to help an old lady across the street today or right. not. Right. Right. But it's it's turning on what Christ did on the cross. And I know and that also like turns off, you know, I think that that these kinds of things like turn off people to the faith because it seems so like it seems so trite to have this this view of God who creates this world where all it is is a reward and punishment system and he's like, "Okay, guys, you know, don't don't be mean to each other and don't cuss and don't don't kill each other. And if you just if you just do these few things, I'll, I'll let you in. You know, I'll let you I'll give you a reward. But just come on. Come on, guys. Be be nice. to one. You know what I mean? It's just like it makes it makes everything feel so trite. Um, and I know that's that's a huge turnoff uh, to a lot of people, a lot of our peers, um, because that's kind of what they that's what they see is that really if. If that's all that God is worried about, um, that's a pretty small God to have. Um, and like you mentioned, Paul, you know, it's nuanced. So that certainly is part of, you know, this dilemma 
that, that we have a holy God and we are unholy people, that that's mm. part of the conversation, but that's not the only that's not the only thing that God's trying to do. Have you guys ever read um, Tim Jennings? Anything by Tim Jennings? No. Mm-mm. Okay. So I I don't know that I would recommend his reading <laughs> as super great theology because I think I think he goes some pretty questionable places. However, um, in he I read a book of his last year, and of course I'm blanking on the name of it. Um, uh, that uh, it oh it was, it was called the God shaped heart. Uh, is what it's called. Um, now, again, there are some things in that book that I would not necessarily recommend as sound theology. I think he has some good ideas, and I think he takes them way too far. But mm-hmm. one thing that he says is that, and I think this is very true, is we tend to look at rules in the world and in the universe in the way that God designed them to work. As you break a rule and God is sitting there um, in a giant game of whack-a-mole, to smash you when you do something wrong or to reward you when you do the right thing. And, um, we, and, and it, it kind of, it kind of plays into that idea of, is it really that trivial, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and what he says is think of morality more in terms of this is, this is how God designed the universe to operate. It's not that God is sitting with, a uh, uh, mallet waiting to smash you. It's that in the same way that he wove gravity into the fabric of the universe, he also wove morality and and justice into the fabric of mm. the universe. Mm-hmm. And so um, this is similar to what we're talking about mm-hmm. um, in that when we're talking about groaning under the weight of sin, um, God created a, a perfect world, and after each step, right, he said that it was good, and he didn't design sinful creatures to run roughshod over it, and also he didn't design us to act in ways opposed to that morality. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's like it's like the punishment for a good majority of our sins. Now, I think you can make it – he takes this too far and says that all punishment for sin comes from this. I think oh. you can make a case that there is there is times where God God super supernatural not to use the enlightenment terminology too much but God supernaturally imposes himself right Ananias mm-hmm. and Sapphira didn't die from natural causes right you know what I mean right. um, but most of morality is in the is in that sort of woven into the fabric of the universe and we sort of separate we separate out this supernatural and natural. Yeah. That's a much more like careful nuanced approach than I think, uh, a lot of kind of popular religion in the United States and in the West has been, which I think is more of that God with a mallet. I like to, I like to say it's Thor, um, or it's (laughs) Zeus. I mean, it's, it's Zeus and he's just like, God's just waiting for you to mess up so he can, hit you with a lightning bolt. Um, you know, that's a pretty pagan way of thinking about God. So what what are some of the problems with that kind of maybe a little bit more one-dimensional view, this kind of waiting for heaven, getting your reward at the end? Um, this, If it's just boiled down to that very like flat one-dimensional view, 
um, what's the problem? What, what's the problem with that thinking? What does that produce? Well, I think that um, the first thing it does is it turns um, the quote unquote gospel into, I think we've said this before, like just behavior modification. Like it's advice for how to quote unquote, like win the game yeah. of life. Like here are the rules that God has set forward, whether, whether he's enforcing them or whether they're just kind of hardwired into creation here are the rules, and here's how to avoid breaking them so that you can win the game and get to this other place that is the reward, that is the separate thing. We In the past four episodes, we've talked about like why that's a problem, why advice just isn't you know, what the gospel is really all about. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's, that's kind of the main problem that at least N.T. Wright is kind of pulling out of this, is it does not provide sufficient reason for me to care about the gospel. Because it's just, what's in it for me? What do I need to do? Here's my checklist. Okay, great. I can move on. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the South Park view of religion. Uh, You know how they, (laughs) the creators are equal opportunity offenders, but they kind of level the playing field about between all religions, which is very typical of like a kind of whatever postmodern Western way of thinking is you kind of level out all religions. And so they all are simply behavior modifications with a different name for the deity. Mm-hmm. You hear people say, like, well, they're pretty much all the same thing. You just call God a different name. You know, when it's boiled down to that flat view, that's kind of that's kind of what you what what I was thinking about while you were talking, Dan, is like it's all just comes down to behavior modification. I, he makes this point in the book. But anytime you anytime you change the goal, you change the focus, you know, uh-huh. and he doesn't necessarily say it exactly that way. But um, if it becomes if the story of the gospel becomes about my, you know, my personal cardboard testimony mm-hmm. um, and not about God. Not that those are bad in and of themselves. Right. OK, I'm not saying yeah, that cardboard right. testimonies are. Sure. <laughs> but uh, if we make it just about me and my personal testimony and me getting to heaven mm-hmm. and not about God's restoration of his whole creation, of which we are a part Right. Then it becomes a very self-centered and self-focused. Um, and and I, I, I th- thinking about this, one of the impacts, at least in my life, is is in communion. We don't have to get into exactly what the sacraments mean in Wesleyan versus Lutheran versus Calvin. Right, right, right. But for the longest time in my life, when I had a very small view of the gospel, um, there was a subtext to communion that basically went. We've reached the part of the service where you need to feel really bad about everything that you've done this week. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and they didn't have to say that, but it was like this. You need bef- before you eat this bread and drink this juice or this wine, you need to think about all the bad things you've done this mm-hmm. week. And remember, you know, remember that you need Christ. And yes, we need Christ. But in Luke uh, 22, Jesus doesn't say do this in remembrance of all the ways that you've screwed up. He says right. to do this in remembrance of me. Right. right. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. So if we focus, if we shift our focus to I'm just trying to get to heaven, then it becomes about all the things that I do. And then it yeah. changes the sacraments. Right. right. And then right. it changes my morality mm-hmm. um, because I'm ever changing. God is eternal. I'm changing. So if the focus is me, 
then it's going then the morality is going to shift significantly mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, just another just in support of what you said that also Paul talks about the supper in 1 Corinthians. He doesn't say and when you do this we declare how much we suck until <laughs> Jesus comes again, right? We declare the death, we declare the death of Jesus. We would declare what he's done for mm-hmm. us, not not the other way around. So what what is the biblical picture then of new creation? If if heaven, this kind of rest, this reward, which are all biblical categories, by the way, if, if it's not f- flatly those things, what is the more nuanced, robust picture? Um, you know, and N.T. Wright calls this new creation. What is what is the picture that we see in Scripture? The first, the part of this chapter where N.T. Wright kind of first brings up the idea of new creation is when he starts quoting like all of those passages from the New yeah. Testament, you know, that I mentioned in the overview, um, and really getting into that idea that everything, heaven and earth, right. is, um, as he says here, um, he's quoting a little bit from Ephesians one verse ten, um, that God's ultimate plan was to sum up the whole cosmos in the King. Yes, everything in heaven and earth. Like everything yeah. is unified, everything is summed up and made what it was intended to be. Right. Everything, you know, the word that comes to mind is it, it reaches its fulfillment, um, which he talks about a little bit later that the the all of creation is fulfilled in Christ as the first fruits. He is that first taste of what it means to be truly human, what it means to be truly alive, and what yeah. it means to be truly um, part of creation mm-hmm. um, that it's it's no longer this shadow that you know Paul talks about in first Corinthians 13 you know now we see but a poor reflection is in a mirror then we shall see face to face Christ mm-hmm. is that face that we right. see and that it is again kind of the thing that differentiates it from the idea of heaven is it includes earth it includes creation because right. God created he loves creation you know and he right says that, you know he created it to be good. He yeah. created it. Yeah. It's his plan. His plan is not, well, I made it, and now I'm going to throw it away mm-hmm. because I've got my new little community, my gated community up here in heaven where everyone right. can come hang out. Right. Like, I, I, made, I made creation. This is my intended plan to redeem and and transform what has been broken. I like that, that Colossians 1, in him, through him, for him, and that idea of everything being reconciled. Yeah. To God, you know, I think about um, work was not something that was invented at the fall. Work was right. something that Adam yeah. was put into the garden to do, yeah. but his work was ultimately fruitful right. um, because it was free from sin, right. and he was able to tr- to truly accomplish what God had for him, and able to walk side by side with God um, in harmony. And so when I think about heaven in biblical context and, and in what he's saying here is that that idea is, is really restored in that um, what we were put here for and the things that what God has given us to do, we can actually do. And we don't have to spend time battling our sinful nature and battling the fallenness around us. And we don't have to right. fight through you know, strange ideologies or twisted mm-hmm. theologies to get to to get to God. But we can we'll be able to walk side by side with him, right. do what it is that he has uh, for us to do. And that will be ultimately fulfilling. Dan, I know that you know about this, but Paul, have you ever heard of the Bible Project? 
Yes. Early on, um, one of their, their like first couple uh, videos did a really good job of highlighting this like this biblical theme that when God created, um, and so they're, they're, the Venn diagram circles that they use, mm-hmm. it's like a helpful way for me to visualize it because they're right on. Phenomenal that, resource. Yeah, yeah, that those, like heaven and earth were actually designed to be, it's the same space. You know, they were designed to be the same space and spiritual beings and earthly beings cohabitated in Eden. Right. Like God, they, they heard God walk in, you know, it's like this. It was meant to be one space. It was meant to be one thing. Um, and then the fall, which I don't even like to use the fall anymore. I don't like to use that term. It was it was a rebellion, you know. It, so I, mm. I just call I call it the rebellion. Um, that that ripped apart heaven and earth. And then really all of scripture is this litany of ways that God is bringing heaven and earth back together. First, in, in the word of promise to Abraham, and then he gives the Israelites the actual kind of physical space that they could they could interact with him. And, and the imagery of the tabernacle and the temple was a Garden of Eden imagery. I mean, it was supposed to be the space where heaven and earth collided once again um and then when jesus came he's like the kingdom of heaven is at hand that was the gospel that was his first that was his first sermon in mark and in luke you know he talked about he quotes isaiah and he talks about the blind being healed he's talking about this renewal of the of the world the poor are getting you know the good news proclaimed to them and he's like you've you've seen this scripture fulfilled in my reading it, it's fulfilled, you know, so he points to himself as this place where heaven and earth are, are overlapping again. And then ultimately you get to the revelation and all throughout the revelation, it's all temple language. It's, the, it's Holy of Holies language where heaven and earth are overlapping again. So really the whole biblical narrative is this, is a story of God bringing heaven and earth back together again. And ultimately it ends in revelation 21 and 22 with the new Jerusalem coming down and God recreating both the new heaven and the new earth. It's the biblical narrative is God coming down to us to redeem, not necessarily God just rescuing, rescuing is part of it, but God actually comes down and he's, he's recreating rather than just rescuing the souls of believers from the world. Which, which we see in the incarnation of Jesus. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah, like if if heaven is, and the Bible Project kind of uses heaven to talk about God's space. That heaven right. is where God is. Yeah, and so heaven has already come to earth in the form right. of Jesus. Right, like that was his the whole purpose for him coming was to bring the kingdom of God to bring heaven to right. earth, and then through the Holy Spirit to leave it here, right. so that we can continue to to spread that kingdom. All right. Yeah, because here's a crazy thing: is that if if all God needed was for someone to be sinless, if that's all that needed to happen, I, God could have done that without the Son being incarnate. You can do that without the incarnation. Right. You know, you have, even in the Old Testament, you have Abraham being counted as righteous. You have Enoch being swept away um, into heaven. Right. Like you have these examples of people who they're, they're called righteous 
in God's eyes, they are called righteous. Um, you know, we could there there's some nuances there to those passages, but at the end of the day, God could have empowered somebody to obey the law precisely. He could have he could have he could have empowered somebody to be righteous. If if it was just about a sinless person dying, that could have been achieved without the incarnation. Uh, but you're right; it's in the biblical narrative. It's this remarriage, it's the recreation of the world, not just the spotless lamb being sacrificed for the people. It's not just that thing. It is that thing, but it's not just that thing. Um, ultimately the incarnation needed to happen, which is what I actually think we see. And I don't mean to, to pull this conversation in, but in Romans, um, I think that's what we see with this, this idea of predestination. God had decided since the beginning, since before creation, that he was going to become one of us, that he was going to come to earth and it was going to fulfill creation. And even in the, in the Eastern Orthodox church, they just, that's, that's part of their doctrine. They would say, God was always going to incarnate. That was always his plan. Um, so they even talked about Adam and Eve weren't necessarily perfect. They were just innocent. They didn't have sin, but it wasn't necessarily like Earth wasn't in its final form yet. It hadn't, it hadn't gone Super Saiyan uh, yet. <laughs> it wasn't in its final form. It was just the innocent form. But ultimately, God was always planning on coming to Earth. He was always planning on being incarnate as one of his creation. But it definitely changes once we kind of like shift out of this flat um, view of heaven, of punishment and reward, it fills it out. It fills out the biblical story so much more, and the biblical story actually makes sense. <laughs> yeah, if the point was for us to go to heaven in a different place, right, then what's what's this whole earth thing right. about anyways? You know, I mean, really, why did God put us through all of this if, if it was just going to ultimately be us sitting on clouds strumming harps or whatever that looks like? That's right. Yeah, that the idea that N.T. Wright uses, um, he's actually addressing one of his one of the possible um, complaints against some of what he's saying in this chapter. Yeah. Um, he talks about the idea of kind of the Roman colonies and specifically Philippi. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when in Philippians, when when Paul writes about you know, but our citizenship is in heaven. Right. He says, well, doesn't that mean that what I've just said is not true because we're talking about you know citizenship in heaven? He's like, right. but citizenship to the Philippians that Paul is writing that to would not have been, oh, I can't wait to go back home to Rome where I will be a Roman citizen and participate in that. It is, no, I'm a Roman citizen here in this, this colony on Philippi. Right. And if my citizenship is in Rome, then I am looking forward to the day when the colony where I am becomes fully Roman. Right. We we really begin living in that fully Roman law, you know, as if right. like the emperor is going to come to Philippi to make right. us yeah. more fully Roman. Right. Not and also, oh, I can't wait to get back. And also you get all the benefits of being a Roman citizenship while living in Philippi. Right. Like that. Right. That you are Roman if you have citizenship, even though you're even though you're not living in Rome. And that's why it's good news is yeah. because, yeah, the. The end will be complete in Christ and his return when that marriage between heaven and earth is fulfilled. But also there is restoration happening here and now in that we are as part of God's creation. As we are being restored, bits of creation are having that relief from 
sin and brokenness. And the, the, the kingdom is here and the kingdom is reigning, uh, even though that that is not complete yet. And some one of the things that this chapter really made me think about is um, there's almost this idea of I don't really care what happens to the world. Now, let me preface this. This is not me pretending to be the Lorax. There's almost this sense, though, like, I don't care what happens to the world because God's going to whisk us all away right, to right. heaven anyways. Now, there are a lot of other ulterior motives that come along with environmentalism, so I'm not, I'm not pushing that. But I think that there is something to be said for God is restoring his creation. Mm-hmm. That restoration is happening um, here and now. And and instead of this sort of pessimistic, everything's going to get a lot worse and go down in hellfire and brimstone until God whisks us away into a much more optimistic good news. Hey, guess what? Things are getting better. Yeah. Like there is relief to sin and brokenness that is happening today, tomorrow, the next day as the sons of God are are revealed and brought to him and there's restoration um there is there is actual tangible here and now right um relief yeah. uh, and that is far more optimistic than let's just wait until we die and then god yeah, will take us right. to play video games for all eternity or, or whatever right. that happens to be <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah that's right because that this goes into what he continues on um, in this chapter to talk about is that it changes, you know, this changes how we're, how we understand that we're saved because I'm not just like you said, Paul, I'm not just saved. I'm not just saved from this world. I'm not just, I'm not just biding my time and, you know, complaining every step of the way that the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I'm not just biding my time. No, like God has actually recreated me and my family. Like he's recreated the people in my church. And so now we get to be this little colony of new creation that gets to witness and experience new creation, even if it's only in a partial sense, even if it's only, even if it is only, you know, through a, through a mere dimly, uh, we get to experience this new creation. And now, you know, again, and he talks about what I, what I call this like partnership model of salvation, mm-hmm. um, which I like that word being partners are almost like co-heirs or co-reigners. With we co-reign with God. He's He's given us um, authority to to work in our world. So we're actually saved to the world, not saved from the world. Uh, we're actually like released back to our world. And so I like to tell my people this sometimes that like Christians should be the best neighbors. Like our neighbors should love having us as a neighbor. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like we should we should be the kinds of people that are really good neighbors. And people should recognize that. They should know that we're good neighbors uh, because we're saved. We're a little colony of new creation right here on my corner. And people get to glimpse that when they interact, when I interact with them and when I bring them in um, to my life. And, and as we, as they see me and witness me, that's an opportunity for them to experience that new creation. And so it's actually I'm partnering with God in his mission to recreate the world rather than just being saved from it, waiting for for heaven. But 
yeah, he's talking about that. That's why this matters for creation is because, you know, creation, as it says in Romans 8, you know, is is longing for the or waiting for the revealing of the sons of God um, is, is waiting there. And that Christians are God's way of interacting with the earth and of bringing that redemption and that recreation to the world. Um, and that's both the physical world, other humans, kind of like you were saying there, Eric, is, you know, if I am I am this small community, this this exiled pocket of new creation and the interactions that I have with the world, with the people around me, with, you know, society, all of that is ways that the kingdom of God should be spreading as God kind of works through me to spread that further and further. You know, in the end, it's not like, yeah, none of this matters. I'm going some, to heaven. God is coming here. Um, you see that in, in the parables that Jesus tells in the New Testament about the the master who shows up and then sees how the servants have been doing with what mm-hmm. they had. Because mm-hmm. it's not that the servants are going, the master is coming back. What yeah, are we doing right. with what we have been given in the meantime? Yeah. So there's a ditch on both sides of the road here. Right. And that in, in sure. one sense, we can veer too far to one side and say it doesn't matter. Christ is coming to restore things anyways. And on the other side, we can veer too far to the other side and say, well, everything matters so much. So one side, we abuse grace. Right. In that um, we say, well, God's going to offer us grace and it, it, he's going to restore all things. And then the other side, uh, we try and do things in our own strength and, and do away with mm-hmm. grace. Because, um, by golly, you better have a really nice lawn because Christ is coming back. (laughs) Um, It should look different, but looking different doesn't necessarily mean in physical terms that it will look better to everybody. That's right. Because it will be scandalous to some and foolish to others. But a a gospel-filled, new creation life should look very different different because the goal is completely different and the means are completely different. Yeah. New, new creation doesn't look like a white middle-class family. You know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not having nice things and taking care of your nice things and making sure they stay nice. Like that's not, that's not the kind of partnership God wants. I think that, that he wants us to be good stewards of the actual resources that we do have but at the end of the day, building wealth is not what it means to be a new creature in Christ. You know, you can be a new creature in Christ in any neighborhood, in any house, with any vehicle or with no vehicle, with any amount of money, you can be a new creature. And so it really has, I think it has more to do, and what Jesus kind of indicates is that it has more to do with the kind of interpersonal relationships and how you inter- how you operate in the world. You know, like I said, when you know, when Jesus preached a sermon to to the Galileans in the synagogue, he was like, "The blind receive sight, um, the the hungry are fed," and you know, it's all this kind of like relational language. And he goes, "In this reading, this has been fulfilled." Um, same thing with uh, when John the Baptist sent some of his friend when he was in jail, he sent some of his disciples to Jesus and is like, "Hey, are you are you the Christ, or is there going to be somebody else?" And Jesus said, the hungry are fed, the blind receive sight, the poor have the good news preached to them. Like that was his response. And so it is the new creation is more relational. It looks different. Um, it sounds different. It feels different. Some people are going to buy into it. A lot of people aren't. 
So you're going to be you're going to be obnoxious to some, but man, you're going to be a breath of fresh air uh, to a lot of people. And a lot of people are going to benefit, you know, just like uh, when Jesus teaches the parable, of the kingdom being like a mustard seed. You know, there are going to be people who benefit from from your life, just like the birds came and they rest on the tree. You know, there, there are going to be people who benefit from you being a new creature who may never never know Jesus. They may mm-hmm. not respond to the gospel. They may not have faith in Jesus, but they're going to benefit from you being a new creature just simply because you're going to be operating in a different way. You're going to be operating in a more hosp- hospitable, generous way, um, a more kind and loving way uh, than than most of our neighbors. The new creation values things differently than yeah. the current creation. You know, it's a different type of kingdom. Um, you know, Paul, I think it's I think it's Paul, uh, talks about, you know, things uh, destined to perish with use. Um, the world itself is not necessarily passing away that God, it's a good creation that God made, but the the things that we so dear and important to us and the way that we value them are not going to last. You know, I don't think it's going to matter in the new creation how many bedrooms and bathrooms my house has, right. right? How many cars I have. That's right. Um, those are... Those are good things. Those are resources that I can use to, to, to spread the kingdom. But in the new kingdom, those things are valued differently. I, I also think it, it should change the way we assess decisions in our life. So our children, how we raise our kids, why we raise them the way we raise them. Are we raising them to be tame members of society or are we raising them to be ambassadors and pioneers and, and proclaimers of the kingdom to come? Are we, are we raising citizens of, of a kingdom of this world or are we raising citizens of, of God's kingdom? In how we work and view our relationship with our spouse, are we looking for someone to complete us and make us whole or are we looking at a fellow heir uh, in in the kingdom and somebody who we have an opportunity to show Christ's love and his grace through our through our relationship and should change how we do church um, in that Starbucks church is really cool. But are we does it look different than the country club? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Is it? <laughs> Are we offering anything beyond the beyond just some casual friendships and donuts every now and then? And it, it changes how how we should look at politics because there's a lot of doom and gloom from some, and there's a lot of people say we'll do this and things will get better for you. But we're citizens of a different kingdom. We the the and that kingdom is here, um, and and it should change the way we view and the outcomes that we should we should desire. Without trying to get, you know, who I think you should vote for, but but it should change the way that you view all of these different things, um, because there is restoration to be done. Yeah, because the gospel provides a new, empowered, spirit-led way of operating in the world. Like it's a whole new, whole new mode of operation that we, like simply Christians ought to, if they're listening to the spirit and being led by the spirit, they simply ought to have a different way that we engage and interact with the world that's going to be different from any of our neighbors, from all of our neighbors, right? Any of our neighbors who, who don't, 
walk in the spirit, walk in the newness of Christ, it's going to be different. Um, it's going to be attractive to some. It's going to be, it's going to lead to new life for some. Uh, for some, it's just going to fall on death, deaf ears and they're, and they're just going to think we're weirdos and they're going to move on. Um, so we really shouldn't feel really comfortable with any of the ways that current culture power structures operate, right? So to, to just like briefly, you know, again, to, you know, you brought up the the issue of, of politics, right? So as Christians, because we have a new mode of operation, we should be pretty tactful and careful in how we're in, in political awareness and in the political world, because there are going to be people on both sides of the political aisle they're going to look at how Christians operate in the world, and they're going to think it's weird, and they're going to think it's lame, and they're going to think it's not helpful, right? So it's yeah. going to be you're going to you're going to cause discomfort, and you're going to have issue and disagreement with pretty much everybody, <laughs> and and both sides of the aisle. You're going to have some rub. There's going to be some tension there, just because <clears throat> our mode of operating, the the way that Christians, the way that Christ operated in the world, would not win him any elections. Right. Like he he did not do the things that gain political power uh, to be able to win any sort of election. So we're just automatically going to have some things that are different um, than our neighbors. And that's going to be um, that's again, it's kind of that we're citizens of a different place. It's we're here and this is our place. But we know that the rule of law is going to be different. We know that the reality that we're living in is changing and it's changing positively. And we're like with Christ because we're resurrected with Christ. Christ is the first fruits. And we're like that first harvest. We're that batch. Like we're experiencing this newness of life. We're experiencing resurrection now, knowing that there's going to be a fullness later. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be a fullness of the resurrection later. And the, and the challenge is not to allow our gauge to be that rub, but to have the spirit in the scriptures be our gauge and 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 if that causes rub then it may be you know you know in the same way that jesus wouldn't have won any elections if you look at this disciple as as his parent as his children he wouldn't have won parent of the year either because (laughs) most of them almost all of them were martyrs consider that in how we bubble wrap our kids today and i'm not saying we should send our kids out in the street running with scissors in front of cars, but that's I don't, a I don't very... know what you're talking about today. <laughs> today, when I got home, my son was so excited to see me. He ran at me with a stick. <laughs> but the definition of success was very different. That's right. Right. That's right. Extremely different. This is a good place to end because I think that we're going to see a lot more of this kind of conversation than next week as well. All right, guys. Thank you so much for the time, for hanging out, talking. Thank you. Yeah. So God bless you guys. Listeners, thank you guys for listening in. Hope you guys have a great week. We'll talk to you later.